0: Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a daily Planet Productions podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, Wild Bo's return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and I just got a new tattoo. Scott, what do you think?
1: Is that, is that a giant picture of Jean-Luc Picard giving everyone the finger on your back?
0: Yeah, see it says WWJLPD here on my lower back. Do you like it?
1: It's, uh, it's, it's passionate, Matt. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, as you said before you went to that weird tattoo place, this is a podcast where you and I eagerly dive into Wild worlds of violent uncles, shitty bagels, and alien based de- death powers as we analyze and interpret this novel. This week, we are covering Arc Four Shade, part three. This will be chapter four dot B and four dot six. It's our first time we only have two chapters, Matt. Yeah, Only two chapters to cover.
0: Yeah, it's going to be amazing that we're still going to manage to talk about this for two hours.
1: Yeah, it's going <laughs> to be incredible. Like somehow our scripts remain the same length yeah. no matter what we do. Yeah, well, um, but this th-
0: these are really dense though. Yeah,
1: they were. They were uh, these both these chapters are th- are chapters in which, like, action point wise, not a lot happens. Like they're they're not very like this. The plot of the story does not move, but very far but they're very dense detailed um character interactions and, and like victoria spends most of this chapter just thinking about things uh, yeah. and she's almost almost not even noticing the thing that are going on around her as she's doing it and then we have range chapter which he is coming to this point of of real choice and decision making in his own life that uh is is spurred on by events in, in his life but it, we haven't moved it move things that far forward throughout these two chapters.
0: Yeah, um, it's. I think I've said before like the Kate battles are actually quicker to summarize because you can just sort of gloss over things by saying, you know, these people fight and then this happens. And I, I don't want to gloss over anything in these chapters because, like you said, there's so many little minute character internalizations that are just really awesome and I want to talk about, so...
1: Yeah, yeah, cool. and it, yeah. Every word, I mean, I think generally every word means something. But here, every word means something, and then might also mean <laughs> something else. Uh, mm. So, of course, we're gonna take a very long time. Yep. On these two chapters, because that's uh, that's what we do. That's what we do. That's what we do. All but right. first, let's let's get into that other stuff. Yeah. We
0: do. Well, so no announcements this week. Um, and I don't, I don't think that we screwed anything up last week. So. We don't need to do uh we didn't have ward section. We actually had ward successfully. We, we did week. it. Yeah, we did it. I, I think. <laughs> we're
1: probably wrong about that. Yeah. Next week, our <laughs> we didn't have ward will be that we were wrong about having ward. Yeah, um, probably. Uh,
0: so, Community Spotlight, uh, we're going to talk about the responses to the discussion question from last week, which was, if you'll recall knowing what we know now, which member of the misfit toys is the most danger to themselves and others and why. And we got some, we got a, a wide range of answers, which I really loved because they didn't all agree with each other. And that, that, you know, gives you a lot of food for thought to realize that there is no really obvious answer here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I liked, we, we try to give the goal of these discussion questions is to give something that people can talk about and debate about and not necessarily there is a right or wrong answer. And I was, uh, happy with with the the range of answers we got
0: yeah so so first from uh dash elger uh, they proposed Kinsey, chris and capricorn um basically the reasoning being that we kind of we kind of see what Kinsey's problems are at this point and and kind of clear um ashley is actually kind of like rachel in that she's like unstable but um but like actually doesn't she seems to have a some kind of like circumspectness to her and it makes it seem like that's kind of a red herring almost that she seems so unstable yeah whereas chris is is the literal manifestation of emotional volatility and and he's very like cagey and defensive about it so um that's kind of why he's dangerous and and then we as we've seen more of rain we kind of realize that he's not such a real danger to um to others. <laughs> uh, oh, poor guy. Yeah. Um And then, uh, Sveta is, you know, a uh, murder ball, but is, is seems psychologically more stable than usual. But mm-hmm. then, uh, finally that the Capricorn, um, is two people stuck together who have a history of calling assassins on each other. So that seems, um, uh, worrisome.
1: Yeah. So I think Dashel Gerb said primarily Kenzie Chris, Capricorn but also the sensor kind of said everybody yeah
0: (laughs) yeah everybody but those three it's almost like the three we know the least about are the ones we're the most worried about
1: which I think makes a certain amount of sense you you fear what you don't the more you understand them like if we had asked this question a couple weeks ago I think I would have said rain and the more we've learned about rain the less as we said last week Machiavellian he is he's just this this scared kid that's trying to figure himself out
0: yeah So from uh, Confusion Steep Hands.
1: I always read this as Confused Steven Hands, and I have no idea why. That's how I read the name all the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. You know, guys, it's really too much to expect us to get your usernames right. I hope you realize that. (laughs) Um, So I think um, the answer here is that uh, Rain is, is a big danger to himself because he's sort of given up. I think that's interesting because... yeah not only is he not capable of defending himself at the point that we've last left him but he might not even be like psychologically up to it i think that's a interesting thought
1: yeah and i think that reflects where we left him last week i think the uh, interlude this week shows a kind of u-turn on that um as far as the giving up side of it not that not his how effective he will be but he very much like comes around to i am not ready to give up i i have something to fight for now. Yeah. Um, And I can't wait to talk about that because I really, I really liked, I really liked his, his mini arc in this, this chapter we're getting to.
0: Me too. Um, Next from Tekken forecast. They say Kinsey is the, is the biggest danger. Um, Similar reasoning to the people we just talked about um, that she's, she doesn't grasp social boundaries and, She's just going to become more of a risk over time, actually, as, as she becomes more attached to people. Yeah. Um. Again, kind of an agreement that Tristan slash Byron are are dangerous, but probably more dangerous to each other. I think that's probable, but I can imagine there being collateral damage, um, in, yeah. in a conflict between them. And yeah. and then Chris is just kind of a a, a blank.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The Chris is our I think our biggest mystery right now.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. My favorite part of their answer was. I think Ashley's the most stable of the group Um, and they said minus Sveta, Um, but I I kind of agree with that and it, it harkens back to the conversation Ashley had with Victoria right after their first little scrimmage. Like, you think I'm the most dangerous or I'm the worst one of these guys? You have no idea. And I think as we learn more about them, we're like, yeah, Ashley's right. Like, at the very least, Ashley has a sense of who she wants to be. Um, I don't I don't know if she has a full sense of who she is. I think that's something she's still exploring, but she has a clear image of the person she wants to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And all of her tantrums have have been kind of all bark and and no bite as far as we've seen. Um, I'll change my mind, of course, if she blows off somebody's arm in the course of uh,
1: which is very, very possible.
0: Yeah. But but we don't like she may just be blowing off steam and she needs to get a handle on it and and she does. And that's what we've seen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, and I, this this next poster, literal headcanon. I really like this answer. You know, not because I agree or disagree. Um, I, I think it's all it's all interesting to think about, but because this is not something I had thought of. Which is, they say that the most dangerous slash unstable member is Sveta, um, and despite the fact that she appears to be the best adjusted, uh, she's it's because she's really good at at coping, and but actually, like we we kind of know this about her from worm that at any point her, her carapace or, or whatever could be blown away. And suddenly she's in like death mode and could accidentally kill some people and could have a terrible relapse. And, uh, I don't think Sveta would weather that too well at this point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we really haven't seen that part of her tested yet. Um, and and i i like I like the idea we we touched on this a little bit last week, but the idea that that kind of um almost oppressive optimism can be dangerous um if it if it ever cracks and I think we we get this is kind of a tangent but we got another question last week or a comment at least talking about how um we mention a lot that these people are just employing coping mechanisms instead of dealing with their problems and and what what we think they should be doing instead and I don't think there's a there's an easy answer to that I, I I honestly don't know I don't know what what the right path for these people to get better is I don't think what they're doing is the best way to do it currently but I honestly don't know the answer
0: yeah I mean I think there are some situations where you can actually like resolve what the problem is you know in in your own like especially if it's like a traumatic thing you can kind of do the therapy until you no longer have that problem, uh, practically speaking. Um, Yeah. But, but then there are other things like, you know, Sveta can't solve the problem of being a a tentacle monster. She can, she can be in a, in a prosthetic suit, which, which is more like a coping mechanism. And I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Beyond some kind of, um, you know, powers thing. I don't think she could really solve the problem. and, And I think, that's the issue here is a lot of these guys actually don't have the option of just solving their problem.
1: Right. There's, there's, yeah, there's no solution. It's just learning to live with the thing yeah. and what the symptoms are. And it's like almost learning to live with, with coping mechanisms. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, which is unfortunate, but there, there's really no other choice. This got me thinking though, you know, they, so their, their group therapy is either almost done or completely done. Um we haven't seen them go back. I think they kind of mentioned it once or twice, but we haven't seen them back in any kind of group therapy situation. Um, Victoria was supposed to get therapy lined up by Jessica Yamada. Um that's one of the things she tells her right before she introduces him to this group. We haven't seen her mention that at all. Mm-hmm. Like so it it feels like I think I think like yes, while well, this group therapy session is over and splitting up it feels like these guys still need to be talking to someone. Um, your problems aren't solved yet. And I feel like we're, everyone's just focusing so much on this this team hero idea that they've stopped the self-care in, in, every, in order to, to go forward with a mission.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's – I guess I'll have to reserve judgment and see whether Victoria is actually going to go to a therapist or not because if she's not, that's right. pretty worrisome.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, it could just be that not enough time has passed. Yeah. It's um, how much time has passed? I, do you think?
0: I don't know because sometimes I'm not sure whether a, whether like a scene and a subsequent scene are the same day or separate days. Um, I, I think it hasn't been very long. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Since yeah. since they first got this, uh, I mean, it it's, it feels like it, it feels like less than a week has passed. Um, man, I can't. Yeah, I have a hard time doing that in my in my head, honestly. Yeah. Um yeah, so so further discussion questions. Uh we like this one from Revan Um pointing out th- this interesting feature of the web serial format, particularly a web serial that actually has a, f- a pretty big following like Wild Stories. Um, what are the meta implications of an author engaging with the readers while writing the work? Um and this, this person has you know, points out some interesting things. like it, it kind of seems like while though it pays attention to people to how people are, are interpreting things, what people are getting and not getting, and then he adapts his subsequent chapters to either emphasize certain things or de-emphasize certain things or clarify certain things. Um, and, and the, the Revan answer lists a handful of, of individual things that they, that they suspect were, um, were, were adapted in that way. And I think that's probably true, and I think that's really um, interesting, and and it's, it is something that I had thought about and, and noticed before. But I think it's it's worth talking about. I think it's a it, kind of a superpower um, in terms of in terms of the the, the end product that, that the story ends up being.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I I like this a lot, and this is one of the, those things that I was excited to be able to do when we're covering a book as it's being written, like we're doing now. This is something unique to this story that you and I have never really gotten to experience live before. And it is, I mean, like you get to test things, you get to see, like when you write something, you have what you want and you have like what you hope people will take from it, but you don't know, you don't know for sure. And he gets to write a chapter. He gets to to tailor something a certain way and see how people are interpreting it, how people are responding it. To it, are they getting what I wanted them to get? If not, do I need to hit that beat a little harder? Do I need to bang that drum a little louder and make it a little more obvious the next time around? Um, and you you get to make these real time course corrections like that that a person writing an entire manuscript and then sending it to an editor would not get to do. And that is definitely an advantage of this this format. I think. It can also be a detriment at the same time if you if you get too wrapped up into that and get too into um, the feedback and how people are interpreting it and lose like the focus and direction of the story that you want to tell. Yeah,
0: I think Walbo has has actually mentioned that it can be a problem when you get feedback and there's like one or two people who are really vocal in their complaints about some particular thing and um, they're essentially wrong, but it's really hard to ignore them. And and not let their complaining uh, affect your thinking about your story, um, and that, yeah. that does sound like a <clears throat> potential failure mode of this. I'm also reminded of, of a couple times in the so-called writers' podcast when someone would would point out something about a story that I had written, where they basically noticed something that I had not intended, but I liked it so much that I was like, you know, if I ever make a you know another pass at this story, I'm going to be sure to include that thing that you talked about uh, because that, that seems like an improvement on what I had intended. Um, I wonder if wild will ever has the opportunity to do, to do that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. I I think the opportunity will absolutely be there. I think this, the one thing that's great about this community is there is such a, a varying degree of viewpoints on stuff that you will see people take things ways you never thought they would. And, and yeah, exactly. There will be some ways that it's just like, I never thought of this character in that way. And you channeling that, that viewpoint to me changed how I felt felt about the character. And maybe I want to, I want to turn into that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, that's really, that's really cool. Um, yeah. And I think that's stuff that we should maybe try to pay attention to a little bit as we continue along in this journey.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, so the next comment uh, from Kalsubalu is about Kenzie Houndstooth and the, and the concept of ableism. And they point out that basically what, what Houndstooth is doing is tearing apart a disabled person and trying to solve their problems without addressing the larger issues. And, and it's just kind of this like reductive approach to to helping people. And it's, it, I think it's more or less what Ashley is railing at uh, when Houndstooth does it. Um, I I think it's a, it's a good post overall.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I really enjoyed this post too. Um, There's the, the, this part at the end here that, um, that I really liked was for all that Tristan stubbornly insists that Kenzie is better. Now Houndstooth is also consistently unwilling to concede even the smallest point about her in his mind. She will never be better enough, normal enough for working with her to be anything short of a full-time job. Once again, Houndstooth doesn't prevent present Kenzie as a person, but rather constantly frames her as a problem. She's a problem which can be managed, but only with great difficulty and effort on those on the part of those around her. And that is, like, I think we got some comments last week about how um, we appeared to be, like, more supportive of, of, of Houndstooth's side of this whole thing, and I completely agree with this comment, and if it came off that way, that was not my intent, but Houndstooth is treating this in in a bad way. Um, the way he is approaching this problem, regardless of, of how much what he's saying is true and how much is exaggeration based off of his frustrated perspective. I think he is, he is writing off this human being, um, in a way that he probably should not do.
0: Yeah, I guess that, I guess it's complicated because from from his point of view, he he feels like he's doing his due diligence and if he didn't warn them about it, then, you know, he, Kenzie's going to, implode again so um yeah it, it's it's definitely a, a strange yeah, no, I, an interesting um paradox
1: i'm not yeah i don't want to write him off as a bad guy i think he is he's fully he has only good intentions in this whole thing mm-hmm. but uh he is approaching it in, in not the best way yeah
0: i agree so baker jake uh pointed out the significance of hollow point as a peninsula um, saying that while this works as a reason for the villains to immediately be suspect of the heroes walking through town, quote unquote, it also foreshadows that the villains of Hollow Point will have nowhere to retreat to once things go down. That's yeah. great. I feel like I feel like I registered that subconsciously, but not not in a way where I was like, "Oh, that's going to be important," uh, which yeah. is which is cool.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. That's something that that he uh, he pointed out to me on the Discord last week, and I had to just copy paste it and throw it in our notes that we hadn't even started yet because i really i really liked that comment so much that yeah i like yes it's a peninsula but what does that mean for the story and what is that that hinting at towards the future of this area and it's not uh it's not pretty matt yeah
0: Sunzu says you always give your opponent a route to retreat so that they're not obligated to fight to the death Uh, (laughs) so so yeah yeah um and then macy um uh talks about doing a, a a worm reread and using the podcast um, as a scaffolding for that. And, and thank, thanks for letting us know. That sounds, sounds really cool. And then they have a few further comments. Like for example, um, something that we, I, th- I think we mentioned offhand that, that like worm is uh, sorry, Ward is, is extending the main theme of worm. It's like, it's like, it's not just like, Oh yeah, this is the same theme again. It's, it's, an offshoot of that theme it's it's an evolution of that theme and right. uh, i don't know if that, it, it, that's something we could definitely afford to to talk about more because like it's a sequel it's a it's a literal sequel and it's also a thematic like spiritual sequel in terms of like yeah we 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 addressed what we needed to address in worm and now we're dealing with um the aftermath of that both plot-wise and theme-wise
1: yeah yeah i can com- i completely agree um, I I really liked this comment. I really liked the idea of that. Like, it's very easy to just do a sequel and say, "I liked this world, and I want to live in this world <laughs> again." So, well, not literally. I definitely do not <laughs> want to live in this world. Um, but I I want to exist in this world again, and that's why we we do a sequel. But it's not it's not just this is a cool world. Let's play in it again. It's let's let's carry on the things we were talking about. Let's allow those themes we were talking about to carry on into the next natural extension. If, if a lot of, if a lot of worm is about, um, tragedy and trauma and the consequences of these things, then it makes sense that you have a sequel that is dealing with the aftermath of those consequences and dealing with how you recover from that, how you move on from that. It is this, it it feels very much not just worm too. It's its own thing while still being, um, an extension of this main idea.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, th- this uh, poster goes on to mention the colonialist aspect of Earth Gimel. Um, and, you know, just we we got kind of almost a throwaway mention of the fact that Gimel has native humans on it. And uh, no one here seems really concerned about the fact that they've stolen their land and, and are colonizing it. Um, uh, and, you know, obviously there's extenuating circumstances involved, but I can't help but think that there's going to be some... Uh, uh f- themes going on rel- relative to this um this existence of the natives,
1: yeah, and i uh, to be completely honest, registered that throwaway line and then just did nothing with it, mm-hmm. like in my head, like I just said, oh yeah, okay, um but yeah, that is something that's I think ripe for exploration because they are they are c- colonizing this place that doesn 't belong to them, they came here um in an emergency and just set up shop, and it's it's ours now. We claim it, and I think there is is going to be some interesting conflict that that stems out of out of that potentially. We don't know. Yeah, I mean, um, it, I mean, like, yeah, even if it's not Gimel itself, we have this this multiverse now that's all open to each other, and there's going to be conflict stemming from ownership of land and property that that stem from those. I think no matter what. I mean, we're already, we're already seeing one kind of. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think it's just it's just so rich for for possible conflicts. And I feel like some of the stuff in Glowworm was um, foreshadowing for for you know conflicts with you know settlers in in corner worlds encountering natives and having conflicts. I believe that was mentioned in the in Glowworm, and that just I I that was the kind of thing that got me very excited um, reading Glowworm. So about, yeah. about what could lie ahead.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Especially when the robot army is slowly advancing and we have nowhere to run. And Oh my god, we're all going to die. Yeah.
0: Definitely, and then they wrap up by asking if we're going to see uh, a fire axe in in ward.
1: I mean, probably. I mean, if who we, doesn't want an axe that's on fire? If we
0: see imp, yeah. he's <laughs> use her, her her signature weapon.
1: The, the, how does she How does she keep it on fire, Matt? I
0: don't understand. Uh, I'm, it's probably tinker made. Yeah, you're probably right. She probably has a minor tinker power that allows her to make that fire axe work.
1: It's got to be. Yeah, it's the only logical explanation. Yeah.
0: All right, I'm going to edit the wiki. Put that in there. <laughs> And then the final comment, uh, we got an email question submitted by Sammy saying, does the way the clones were portrayed in Worm change the way you look at Ashley? Or the inverse, does it make you look back on the way the the clones were treated uh, and systematically murdered with a harsher view? Um, And I would actually extend that myself to say, does it make you look back on how Nilbog's creatures were exterminated with a a different view? Uh, Definitely. I I mean, we... We now know that that those beings are 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 sentient people, which we kind of we kind of knew, but now that our nose has been rubbed in it, it's very right. difficult to just be like to see it as anything other than terribly sad uh whereas at least before it was like, oh, they're just like orcs, nobody cares when they right. kill orcs
1: and th- and that's I think one of the strengths of this story, right is that like every comic book every big comic book story has the huge army that our good guys have to fight because we gotta we gotta show how cool they are like killing all the the mindless
0: robots yeah exactly yeah
1: and worm does that too but then we don't just we don't leave it at that we can't leave it at that it's not just yeah here are these mindless clones that we slaughtered let's Let's talk about them. And I mean, even even in Worm itself, like we had echidna clones, and we had Taylor take moments to recognize that these are still people. Yeah. Um, and and we're, we're, yeah, we're doing that again. I mean, Ashley is the living embodiment of that of this idea that these these mindless creations created by one person just to destroy are still sentient, conscious, alive beings that need to be need to have the respect. Given to them as such, and I, I'm fascinated by Ashley, and I, I, I like that we're doing this. I like like what, that's one of the things you and I talked about a couple times throughout Worm. Is that is that these there's there's multiple instances of clones or uh, monsters or things like that, and and we're really getting so far in Ward. We've even had Dot. Like we've even spent time with one of the uh, the Nilbog clones now. So these things that we create that seem mindless or, or seem evil. Are they?
0: No. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like the least ambiguous is probably the echidna clones. Like, I feel like you could make a good case that it was ethical to just put them out of their misery because they were just like, there was not going to be any fixing them. Right. Um, But that doesn't mean it was like that. That just means it was a horrible thing that they existed in the first place like th- yeah. that was just horribly sad that they were created in the first place.
1: Yeah, um, and I think that when when I made comments like this about the Echidna clones, I got I got a little pushback on that. Um and I I never thought like killing them was probably the thing you needed to do in the moment, but I I don't think we should write that off as it's fine because they're evil mutant. Yeah. Like doppelgangers. But, and that um, probably
0: could have gone differently if we had had witness as a as a continuing character that could have gone yeah, any yeah. which way, so uh yeah, all right, that was um a a big load of uh, of comments to to discuss. Um, yeah, it
1: was. we had such such good ones this week, so we wanted to take the full half hour on the comments section, and we did it, Matt. I'm yeah. looking at the clock right now, we did yeah. it rolling half over hour.
0: that half hour mark right now <laughs> um, all right so so there's a an update on the the bonus chapter status, Scott, did you want to walk us through this?
1: Yeah, I think we just like I don't know how often people check the websites and check the the Reddit that listen to this podcast. So if you want to use us as like your new source on this stuff, we can we can start doing this stuff, too, um, because there was an update on the bonus chapters. The, the first bonus chapter, first upcoming bonus chapter will be this Thursday, February 22nd. I think the goal has been reached for that. So there will be a chapter this Thursday. So next week, Matt, will be a, another three chapter one for us. All right and the the next one will as well because another bonus chapter is going to be on March 1st on Thursday uh Thursday after next. Okay. Um so we'll have another another three week chapter um and the third bonus is still not met. It's getting there. It's going to be sometime next month. So uh you can check that out at parahumans.net. um and you I think you just click on support, right? And you can see all the information about uh how how far they are along. You can make these chapters happen, guys. Should do it. Yeah. So we can cover more. Totally. Yeah. Because I like three chapters.
0: And I admit that I don't check that. So so thanks for pointing that out, Scott.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we want to do one more thing we before we started. I think every week, Matt, you and I have said as we were preparing the podcast, <laughs> oh, we should plug the audiobook. Yeah. And then we've never done it. So I I don't know how many people here um are are or are not aware of Rain's audiobook project for Worm, but if you're not aware he's doing the same thing for Ward and he's releasing I think two chapters a week and he's on the first arc right now and they're great they're of course like I I love them. Um I listen to them each morning even though I've already read the chapters it's fun to go back and listen to them and I've actually used some of the stuff in my re-listens as we were preparing because it's it's fresh on your mind when you're like, "Oh yeah, that happened." Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, the quality's great, and I, I don't know. I just I just find that listening to stuff, my I'll catch different things than I caught reading it. So I think it's definitely yeah, I worth I completely doing.
1: agree. And I think that's parahumansaudio. dot
0: I believe so. Something.
1: Thought. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We're ready. <laughs> uh, yeah, par- dot com. It is dot com. Yeah. Yes, I did it. I did it. There was only nice. a large a large amount of dead air in there yeah. but yeah check check that out um
0: yeah um it's cool
1: we're finally we're finally ready to talk about ward right. o-
0: opening up chapter 4.b and we're returning to rain for another interlude um and and i admit that i really like this idea of having like a background character who's focused on by the interludes and and not not just sequentially but sprinkled throughout the arc it really allows the chap the the arc to kind of highlight certain elements of what's going on with Victoria. By contrast, almost via counterpoint, like in music, it's it's really really cool technique.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I like it a lot. It it is there's a certain rhythm to it too, and and I'm actually not like I don't know why it didn't occur to me that there's definitely going to be another rain interlude because the whole naming structure of four dot A is reminiscent of when there's two chapters by the same guy. Um, and we might even have I think it's very possible if we look at patterns, we could have one or two more rain interludes throughout this arc because each one has covered a a different point of view in his memories. We've gone through um, Snag and Cradle. So we've got we've got at least one more.
0: Yeah, I think I don't think they get dreams from of five. So we might get no. one. We might get one from uh, Love Lost. Um yeah, yeah. That, I mean, I, I, I would love it because I love the, the. I'm loving these rain chapters, and I think you know one reason maybe w- that we didn't expect another one necessarily was that this is unusual. This is not something that uh, I think was done in in Worm at all, um, where you return to the same interlude character a, a second time in the same arc.
1: It, not, not out of sequence. There was mm-hmm. the the Golem interlude. Yeah, um, yeah. Had a t- a pair of them. Yeah, back to back. But yeah, no. Right. This is this is new-ish. And it, it works really well. I think you're absolutely right that we bounce back to Victoria. We see how she's doing with the rest of the group. And then we focus on Rain. And, and things that happen to Rain reflect literally on what's happening with Victoria and her team. Because yep. things are kind of coming to a head there. But also, you are right metaphorically. And I think we should try to point those out when we see them.
0: Yeah. So Rain returns home to the fallen settlement via sputtering pickup truck. He sees a bonfire party in the distance, the kind of nighttime party where older kids can flex their independence within the boundaries of the community. He thinks that he's let the whole day slip away. He it turns out he didn't actually go home after he left the uh, MFTs. He just kind of putted around.
1: <laughs> so we're we're abbreviating this now. Matt. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> that's that's where we are. Yeah. Okay. i uh, I I really like the, how this opens. I like how we're right away like emphasizing how much of an outsider he is in this community, which is something that like was hinted at in his last interlude. Like we got, we saw how people looked at him. Um, but we're, now we're seeing like a textual, like rain rain has now fled from the safety of his friends to hide with these people that he doesn't really like anymore and they don't really like him. But I like that even in that, that, that beat, we still say, we still make sure to mention that there has been a time when he wanted to be one of the older boys at these little, little pro- parties.
0: Yeah, definitely. He, he, and, and something happened that changed it. And we still don't know what that is exactly. And we're so curious.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, We, we are going to learn exactly why rain seems to be so low on that totem pole in a bit, but, the, but there's also parts like there's parts of and hints of it here that, that if he just participated, if he just played in this game, if he just joined this bonfire, like he'd be ribbed at, he'd be made fun of, but he'd be a little more accepted than he is now. Um, I really like the the whole, the whole quote here where, where he's talking about the bonfire and he says, were he to visit, he'd be grudgingly welcomed. He'd be expected to laugh at the jokes, to agree with the things said, to play along. He would be expected to take the ribbing and the jokes at his expense. And there would be a lot. He would be expected to keep the unspoken contract. Adults let those kinds of gatherings happen because the people who attended played along They didn't complain too much when came time to do something with or for the sake of the community, the tribe, the gang. So um, he's like very much like this is very much part of the fallen indoctrination like plan. These these bonfires that happen and he's they don't want him there and he doesn't want to be there. And that's kind of where where he's he finds himself in this place that he has to call home. But where he puts it in quotes.
0: Yeah, it makes it really difficult to even imagine what could have happened to him that would that would have pushed him this far out of the community as rapidly it appear, as it appears to have happened. Um, yeah, early. Yeah, just kind of desperate to figure out what this was.
1: And we 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 get hints towards it throughout this chapter, but it, it's it's still a lot of conjecture um, and and a lot of unknowns. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So he walks by Aaron's house and she's just sitting by the window, keeping an eye out for him. No, Scott, this girl isn't at all <laughs> interested in rain.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. <laughs> you were right, Matt.
0: So she asks if he's okay uh, from the window and he just kind of stands there thinking about how fucked he is until she moves <laughs> to get up. And then he's like, I- I'm okay. He called out. He wasn't the false normal and the lie that he was okay. was something that felt almost real. You could hold, to it for a short while
1: yeah and uh hello and welcome to three beat watch 2018 matt um this is this is the first of a, a three beat we're going to see throughout this chapter um i think we should pay attention to as we go to how rain lies about how he's doing throughout the chapter and why he is lying what the focus of that lie is um and and how that changes as we get to the last beat of our three beat in this this chapter
0: yeah Just laying the seeds, Matt. That's right. Um, So, yeah, so Rain's activity through this first part of the chapter is narrated with this undercurrent of horrible, nauseating dread that he's feeling. He's just absolutely crushed with terror and nearly paralyzed by it, but not fully paralyzed because he thinks to himself that he can't just do nothing. He, quote, needs to figure something out.
1: Yeah, I really like how this is written because we, we hit these beats multiple times of him mentioning, like, just out of the blue as he's just like walking. I'm dead. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm like, it's so, like I'm dead. Like there's nothing I can do. And it, it's like, we hit that beat multiple times throughout the early part of this chapter. And it's like, it's really getting in you into his headspace. Like he is, he has almost, almost given up. He's right on the cusp of giving up and he's going to try one more thing, which is going to his, his uncle for help.
0: Yeah. I think we can all relate to being like, like dreading something and that's enough really to relate to him in this circumstance not that we've Mm -hmm. all had someone hunting us but yeah, um, yeah, it's it's very uh, easy to empathize with so his uncle there was no light in his uncle had Rain not lived with the man for years he might have said he was a sociopath (laughs) just in how he held himself the look in his eyes and how joyless his rote existence seemed if the fallen needed a job done and wanted able loyal bodies Rain's uncle would go without question or hesitation
1: yeah this is the great guy to go to for all your problems.
0: Yeah, um, there's I, so much to be said about why he chooses to do this. Right. Um,
1: I mean, I, I said that sarcastically, but I actually think in the moment what Ray needs, this is probably the perfect one to to dish out the 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 gut check he needs yeah. here a little bit because he's
0: kind of stuck, and right. and and this is this is the push that he needs. I mean, we see by the end of the chapter that it is indeed the push that he needs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so he Rain asks his uncle to teach him how to fight. And Rain probably already knows the outcome of this uh this situation that he's starting, but in, in a sense he's just kind of throwing himself forward um just to unstick himself. So Rain he attacks on his extra arms and he runs outside to face his uncle. And uh and, and then kind of continuing the the language from the previous quote, standing there illuminated only by the porch light. His uncle gave no impression there had ever been a light there at all. I just love that writing.
1: Oh yeah. This I mean both those those quotes you just read are so good and how they connect to each other. It's fantastic use of words and imagery and the that contrast of illuminated by external light in the porch light but with no sense of any kind of internal light at all is just you can see it, right? You can you can you can feel that. And I I Wildbow writes very visually sometimes and this is one of those moments where he just manages to construct a scene. Like I think I think he'd be a really good screenwriter mm-hmm. uh, as well as a novelist because he he very much can visualize what a scene looks like and the emotion the scene uh like brings out.
0: Yeah, there's something about the fact that this is like in the dark by this dim porch light that makes it right. really um special. I don't know. It's it's yeah. it's especially cool because of that.
1: Also, the first time I read this in my head, it was raining, and that's just because like. I kept seeing the word rain <laughs> as I read and I think my subconscious just made it that mean it was storming. Yeah. <laughs> uh it's not.
0: That's it's, it's just, just one example of how bad we are at, at visualizing things.
1: Right. Well, it's it's just how it's kinda how your brain works yeah. too. Like you just see words and attach meaning to them without really processing it. That's kind of how we how I read.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, so he he closes with his uncle, and immediately he just gets the crap beat out of him. His uncle doesn't really hold back at all. Rain's emotion power does almost nothing, and his extra arms readily snap off when stressed. The uncle grabs, grabs a shovel, and he has to be told by the aunt not to kill Rain. It seems to annoy the uncle that he has to do this, but he does downgrade to just using the handle of the shovel as a bludgeon. When Rain uses his mover power to avoid being thrown into a fence, it almost works against him, simply holding him briefly in one spot so his uncle could line up another shot. And <laughs> and then even, when, even after the point where Rain is obviously defeated, the uncle just keeps coming, keeps hitting him, uh, and Rain is cornered into having to pull out his silver blades. And then the first blade hits the uncle in the face and actually makes him pause. Uh, and the second hits him in the shirt. And then here Rain learns a painful lesson that the power only penetrates the shirt and doesn't harm his uncle. Uh, which is probably a lesson worth knowing, actually.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. This is this is rough, and we've, you and I have talked, and I think a lot of the talk in the community has been about how Rain is underselling his powers. He's making it seem like he's better than he is, and we see he cycles through each and every one of his powers here, and they they don't do anything. And his really his most effective power is the one that. He can't really use because he's just going to chop his uncle's head off. Right. Like he just like th- there's unless you want to be the guy that kills people, you can't really use that power. And even even to use it as a, th- a way to threaten someone, it has its limitations, too, because it doesn't go through multiple layers. It's one one and done.
0: Yeah. All right. And I think it has to, like recharge, too, so yeah Um, yeah yeah it's yeah and and his his mover power it's it's interesting because like i was envisioning his mover power working a lot more like with a lot more nuance than it actually seems to um and basically in in order to use it effectively uh it's it's very limited essentially just because of because it freezes him in place um and you can see uses to that i think but uh it's certainly not the way he was using it here
1: yeah you have to be very tactical with that kind of thing it's basically like I can't believe we're going to make it this comparison, but it's like in a video game when you jump in the air and you have your one double jump and then you use it and you're just screwed after that. So you have to use it smart. Yeah. I'm upset with myself. (laughs) I don't know why that popped into my head.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I can see, I can see synergy with a flying, uh, Cape like being a partner. Um, Mm -hmm. but that's not, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, his uncle says, uh, replace it his uncle said perhaps the 11th and 12th words rain had ever heard the man say to him
1: yeah. yeah man like the the impact of that is felt really bad like like the the fact that we take the time to say 11th and 12th the specificity yeah. of that phrase makes the impact of those words felt even more makes them hit with weight
0: yeah i love it right. it's just it just indicates the complete disregard that his uncle has. He's like beaten the boy bloody and he's like, you, you damaged my shirt, fix my yeah. shirt. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and then of course, Ali asks if he's okay. And, and rain replies, I'm fine.
1: Yeah. Which of course, that's our second beat. Um, someone has asked him if he's okay again and he lies mm-hmm. again. And once again, this lie is seemingly to protect himself, right? Like to, to either avoid dealing with the truth or to to hide the embarrassment of getting his ass kicked so much. Um, this is a lie of self survival.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. Like, there's also kind of no point in telling Allie, like, uh, I'm doing horribly. I'm, I'm absolutely horrible because she doesn't really care. And it's not that she doesn't care because she's callous. I mean, she, she kind of goes on to explain exactly what's going on. Like she, she says, uh, I know we're not close. I've probably been shitty to you better than a lot of people. He said, I mean, I'm not in a position to ask any favors from you, she said, leaning over the fence, still hugging it. He stared down at the dark grass on the other side. He didn't respond. But I really, really need you to get your shit together, his cousin said. <laughs> um, and then she goes on to explain, which, which Rain already really knows, that nobody wants him to marry their daughter because of his crap standing in the community. So she'll end up getting paired with him, um, and which kind of primes us on the idea that or rather, she she goes on to prime us on the idea that that Aaron's going to be paired with some forty year old who's close to the leadership because she's actually attractive, and that Rain doesn't have a chance with her, which is mild foreshadowing for what happens shortly.
1: Yeah, yeah, and here is also where we understand the dynamic of Rain and the rest of the Fallen Capes, right? Because we know that powers in this organization are revered. The Capes are the highest rung of the social ladder, but then. But then why isn't Rain loved and respected like this? And Allie answers it. As she puts it, "You, he managed to put a rung on the ladder that's even lower than the unpowered. The person with powers that suck. Because if you have shit powers, you're not going to trigger and get other powers. You have no chance. Yeah, And that's Rain. He's He's worse than an unpowered person. He's worse than a failure. He's a dude that should be revered as a god amongst these people. But sucks so much that he isn't
0: yeah the the best they're gonna get out of him is maybe he can have some offspring who end up having powers that are worth something yep um yeah it
1: it it, it, his his lack of self-esteem makes so much more sense when you see how all these people view him
0: yeah it's just this this vicious society where um it's just kind of a eat the weak type mentality
1: yeah yeah power is valued above all else yeah right power and powers
0: yeah so rain tells her that he'll figure it out and Allie helps him gather up his arm fragments and he takes them inside his alarm tells him to go to bed but he's too hurt to make it to bed in time and his consciousness is snatched away before he makes it to bed
1: yeah um which is one of the answers to a kind of an open question i had which is what if you just stay awake (laughs) do you not have to deal with this during the day yeah yeah Um, and it's so much more complicated than that. Like you just pass out the appointed time. Like you can nothing to do. Like, so you can never do like a night mission. This guy can never do a night mission and he, he has to build his entire schedule around this thing happening to him every night, which actually could be used as a strategic advantage. If you know the same thing is going to happen to your enemies.
0: True. Yeah. But of course they're getting a cape who does stuff with sleep powers. So Uh knows where that's going to lead. Yep, probably nowhere good for rain. Um, no, definitely not. Yeah. So it turns out that it's Cradle's turn tonight. Cradle's dreams are more abstract than Snags were. We don't get the same replay of the fire. Instead, we get impressions, other elements of Cradle's life, filtered and interpreted through the language of the disaster. People from his past screaming, the sounds of a stampede, broken glass pouring th- from their mouths. Um, it's 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 but but we do see some snatches of the actual uh, event and, and just before it, yeah, um, yeah. So d- just things he's seeing like it's even of a similar vein, unrealized potential as far as I can understand it. Report cards, teachers, father figures—they want something from him and he doesn't deliver. He doesn't hand it over. Um, I pulled this out because Rain is basically having has has the opportunity to psychoanalyze Cradle here and he's put, pulling together all this all this information from his dreams that is kind of creating a profile that could potentially help him fight these guys.
1: Yeah, which is a pretty fascinating piece of new information here, isn't it? Because like, w- we knew that they had these dreams each night, and we assumed the dream was just reliving the trigger event, but now we see through Cradle that it's more than that. It's getting a, a picture of who they are and what they've gone through. They're... they're their previous traumas, the things that happened to them before this central trigger causing trauma, um, are reflected in the flames of the small fire thing. Um, which means the inverse is true as well. That, that if rain is able to psychoanalyze cradle, it means the rest of them are able to do the same thing with him. So understanding we're, we're getting more and more understanding of why they might hate him so much.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that they still hate him, even though he's, like a very different person now um yeah. but i think he did mention at one point that the the dreams are selective in what they show um so they probably don't show him you know being a sweetheart to aaron or whatever
1: well yeah and i mean there's there's we haven't seen whether or not the dreams show anything post trigger right yeah. like we've seen with we with snag we saw the trigger event itself um with cradle we saw things that tended to indicate things in the farther past than just the 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 mall explosion so they sure. might not be able to see anything post um post trigger so they might not know how different he is at all
0: yeah good point
1: which actually would fit in pretty thematically because you're you're hooked into what the person was before and you can't see yeah who the person has become now yeah which, stuck. Which slots into our themes very nicely
0: yeah just stuck looking backwards great great, great yep. catch yeah um so yeah he, he does get some flashback imagery of the of the attack he sees the red-headed woman love lost berating her child for being late and then there are three explosions and uh, again we get that note of close by a woman screamed and the sound was prolonged multi-part which is similar language to what um how snag described this one particular scream that he heard yeah and then,
1: which i originally thought was gonna be love loss triggering since her power is related to a scream somehow but i don't know anymore this is just something we've hit in each one so i think we'll see there's gonna be a third beat of this yeah. absolutely because we have to see things from love loss's perspective and i'm wondering if that is her if that's someone else I suspect which still it. this mysterious fifth person yeah suspected it's her but we'll see yeah I think so too. So
0: now they're in the room, the Pentagon, and Cradle is feeling chatty. Um Rain thinks about how uh it's it's always rougher when it's your night. So uh Cradle talks about how Rain infected the rest of them with with his evil. Love Lost wasn't evil before and Snag was even a, a bit of a hero and and now they're they feel that they've been infected by him.
1: Yeah. Uh, this is an area we've touched on a little lightly. Um, but we really haven't dove into it in detail yet because there's this idea that Rain believes that the personality changes that have, he has undergone have been a result of some sort of personality bleed created by the cluster trigger that his emotions have bled over into the rest of his cluster and their emotions have bled back into him. And we see here now that Cradle believes this to be true as well, that, 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 they are bad now, and it's his fault specifically. And I'm interested in this, and I've seen a, a, a fair amount of debating over this whether this is literally true, if this is like actual, real, like shard induced personality bleed, or if it's just those forced perspective shifts that have changed how you view things, how you look at things. Um, but I think here, I think here we actually see a little bit of evidence towards the former that this is actually just literally like a shard induced personality bleed because we've learned a little bit about cradle. Right. And we've learned that like he's a person we've learned about this unrealized potential, this like um, the idea that he was not meeting the potential that he had, that he was disappointing people, um, that he was not living up to expectations. And who does that? remind you of right now
0: oh interesting yes it's uh it's someone with low self-esteem you could say
1: yeah 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 so so i mean if if it's true that rain's hatred and and rage and evil quote unquote we'll call it has bled over into them then he's taken some of their stuff and we know what cradle is like or 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 bits of what cradle was like yeah and so.
0: and and snag was a bit heroic and uh yeah and, and i think and, we at least see a, a bit of a caring nature in in rain that i think we yeah. got some hints of from snag yeah yeah i, I think I, I kind of agree that that like it's it's well within you know, the scope of what powers can do to do something like this personality bleed thing. So I think that's probably happening. But I think, you know, you can never say it's all one or the other because, like, for example, you know, if presumably Love Lost lost her daughter in this. And so, like, when you lose your daughter in a violent terrorist attack and then get superpowers, that's going to screw you up in ways completely distinct from the fact that now you have a personality bleed. So, yeah, um, yeah I think I think it's... Both, but I definitely think the personality bleed thing is happening.
1: Yeah. I, I I was kind of on the fence about it, but this has this has pushed me towards agreeing with you, yeah. Yeah.
0: So now Cradle kind of continues his monologue and it gets pretty dark. Kill yourself, Cradle said. I don't want any piece of you in me. Just wake up and kill yourself. You can't be happy with the fallen. So just end it. Kill yourself. Everything becomes easier.
1: Yeah. Um, this uh, this really fucked me up, Matt. Yeah, this was really, we 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 don't even get to see all of it. Like, we hit this repetitive beat. Wildbo hits this "kill yourself" repetition like eight times throughout this these short paragraphs. But we know that this is like we get to leave it. We're lucky. We get to say, okay, we're done with that part of the chapter. Let's move on. Hooray! We don't have to live this. But we know that that Rain does. He can't wake up. He can't leave. He can't stop anything that's happening. He's just forced to listen to this over and over and over again, and there's nothing he can do. This is this is awful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is also another very kind of cinematic scene. Um, Yeah. I really imagine just this person saying it over and over, and he like wanders to the back of the uh, of his of his area and, you know, can't can't actually escape it. Yeah. Yeah. So the next morning we skip a bit of time rain, rain has woken up and gone to church as ordered Mrs May is the speaker and she's a respected member of the community but she's also a, a harpy and her sermons appeal more to the misogynist element
1: Um once again I would like to offer my sincere apology for giving Victoria any bit of hard time for reacting rather negatively to the idea of the fallen still existing I am I'm am sorry I'm very very sorry
0: You, you were right Victoria. The fallen are terrible so uh, an acquaintance, Lucklin, approaches Rain and Allie outside. Lucklin seems like a nice enough guy.
1: Yes, but but Matt, it's time to go back in time. It's time to travel back oh, yeah? to the prologue and find out why this name sounded so familiar to me the first time I heard it. And it's because in a Glowworm Chapter 3, they're reading an article about the Fallen What You Need to Know and Forum thread. And in this column we talk about there's a lot of talk about Lachlan Hund uh, who was supposed to be one of the people that was kidnapped in a power assisted kidnapping and abduction Um, and Lachlan's family says he never showed any pro-fallen sentiment before this and let's see uh let's let's hope he hasn't been been totally brainwashed into this organization that clearly kidnapped him and, and took him into
0: it yeah and uh, now he's a poster child for it. Oh God! Yeah. Uh, what Lucklin asked? Be fair. Come on. Rain's one of the esteemed. He's blessed with power. He's like nobility around here. I'm just pulling this out as full confirmation that no, the fallen aren't prejudiced against capes. Uh, but I think we, I think we knew that. I think that was just me being trying to throw a, a hail mary.
1: Yeah, but this, I mean, this is directly contrasting what we just had Ellie tell Rain mm-hmm. that he's the lowest rung on the totem. Like he, yeah. he is, he is not one of the esteemed. That's not how they treat him. So it's interesting. Like we're, we're because of that contrast, we're kind of trained to suspect something here. And we learn that, 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 uh, Lachlan's asking, like he's possibly buttering him up mm-hmm. because he's about to ask him for a favor. So we're kind of the, the, the contrast between how Allie described him and how Lachlan's describing him now. Um, is is stark and that allows you to kind of suspect that something might be going on here
0: yeah i mean my take on Lucklin is that you could phrase it as buttering up but i actually just think Lucklin is like a a, an like a nice person who is probably uh, being mind whammied in some way and so it's just like natural for him to want to be like oh no you're 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 a great guy rain like and and just kind of smooth things over Um,
1: I I agree. I think once he gets into the car and they're having the conversation on the way to the machine shop, I think that reinforces that mm -hmm. um, once we learn a little bit more about him. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So they get in the car. um, Lachlan drives him to the machine shop and in the car, Lachlan admits that he likes Allie and he kind of wanted to have a chat with her, too. Overall, we're given the impression of a boy who you would easily call a sweet kid if they weren't in a kidnapping incest cult.
1: Yeah, and it makes it all the more heartbreaking heartbreaking when you uh take it in the context of what we saw in that prologue that that he was kidnapped. Um Yeah. The, the, like you said poster boy of the fallen. He's fu- he seems to be fully indoctrinated now, but is also a good person cuz you're right, he is being nice to Rain. He 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 does need something from Rain or want something from Rain here, but I I agree that that's not all this is. This is him like he might be indoctrinated, but he also like respects rain as a person and is nice to him and and also seems to be fully buying into the whole um superpowered people are revered thing like he doesn't get into the politics of it about like well no your powers are shittier He just kind of seems to be fully bought into it or or brainwashed into it that that he just totally is is into that
0: i expect that we'll find out more about what's going on with him exactly um, yeah. I mean there's there's
1: we did not bring him up in in a in, in the prologue yeah. just as a throwaway reference. Right.
0: Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Uh yeah, so then Lachlan also admits that he's also a bit sweet on Nell who has power um which I wasn't 100% sure if that meant power as in parahuman. Um what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, that was my read on it because the way he describes it like he describes rain as blessed with power. Um, and then Nell. he specifically says she has power too. So the, the context of, of that seems to imply that, yeah, they're both capes. Um, I think so, but yeah. it, it could be like a play on words that she has a different kind of power. Yeah. But I, I think it, it feels like it's Cape power. Yeah, I think so.
0: So then um, they, they pull over and Lucklin wants to show rain something and ask what he thinks about it. So he takes off his shirt, And his entire back is covered with a giant tattoo, which is described as having the text in giant letters, Jesus, virgin motherfucking Christ, with two hands, middle fingers extended, or on Lachlan's shoulder blades, the fingers pointing up and outward. Each hand had a nail through the center. Um, And (laughs) the, the compliments that Rain gives him in response just totally cement him as my favorite character ever. It's big, Rain said. And then a little bit. It's very high quality. I see a lot of bad <laughs> tattoos around here. And that's the lines are straight and the shading of the letters are good. <laughs> um, it's just so, so endearing. So, so yeah, Rain is saddened to realize that Lachlan thinks Allie will actually like this grotesque tattoo.
1: Yeah, it's it's awful. And tying back to once again that he's he was kidnapped and indoctrinated in this thing. And now he's got this permanent symbol of it on it's on his back covering his back like this is what this place has done to this guy yeah and he is he is a fallen now and i i rain doesn't specifically mention it here but i bet he sees a little bit of himself in Lucklin, like in his old self at least
0: yeah yeah i bet so makes me wonder like i, I don't want to conjecture too much but like it it does really seem like there's some kind of master power at, at work is how do you like, is it, is it meant to just be indoctrination like normal cult indoctrination? Because I, I don't see any reason to assume that in a world where you not only have powers, but you know that veil 4 was a fallen cape and powers run in families and there may be something else like that operating here.
1: Yeah. I mean, that is very possible. Um, I think seeing kind of, if it is, it seems very selective because like we see Aaron is very much not indoctrinated. She's very much not really up and, and with all this stuff. So um, it is very possible that could be. I think in a world like this, having someone with a, a, a master type power would not surprise me at all. But I, I don't know. I haven't seen anything that says yay or nay on that. Yeah,
0: right. I mean, just like there's small things that it, that you could read that way like aaron's parents becoming more devoted but but actually that's just something that would happen even without k powers in right play, so.
1: right i think that's the problem is like cults are so freaking good at brainwashing people that even if they don't have powers it could work just as well yeah right um yeah what so before we before we move on from here one more thing i wanted to to, to point out just to drive this point home about how how far lachlan has has gone in this whole thing. He, he, as he says goodbye, he casually mentions the bonfires again. Like rain is like, do you want me to tell her, ask her about the tattoo for you? And he's like, no, I'll probably see her at the bonfires. And we, we have to rec- recall to the beginning of the chapter where we realized that the bonfires were part of this indoctrination pro- process that they were, um, they were there to, to make sure that people kind of became part of the group and felt part of the group and went through the trial by fire of being a member of the kids group here to make them more compliant and feel like more of the group and be more willing to do stuff for the sake of that group after they've gone through that, that ribbing and, and uh, kind of hazing. So, yeah. So we see that, that he's, he's totally in it here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah. So, so now rain heads to the machine shop, hoping for a bit of a break from all this craziness, but Aaron is inside crying and and he asks, "Are you okay?" She jumps slightly slightly at the words. She hadn't heard him come in. No, she said. Um. So she has she has no problem with letting him know when she's not okay, which uh, uh, means that she's assertive and uh, yeah, and is communicative, which he is not. Yes. So she explains that she's crying because she had a run in with Tim, um, who. I'm interpreting as being Cape named Seer, named after the demon. Um, he wears the head of a preserved, uh, the preserved head of a horse, and he's 40, fat, and ugly, um, but he's not somebody to cross.
1: Awesome. Yeah. And then she
0: asks <laughs> if he's okay. I'm okay, Rain Lied, and you're not. Can I do anything?
1: Yeah. And this, Matt, this is the end of our three beat. Um, and I love this so much mm-hmm. because. We we see here, like you said, when Aaron is asked if she's OK, um, unlike Rain, who lies, Aaron tells the truth. No, no, she's not. But more than that, we see Aaron then turns the question back around on Rain one more time. One, the third time someone has asked him, are you OK, this chapter? And Rain lies again. He does. He's I'm OK. Rain lied. Um, he lies for the third time, third time. But this time it is a little different. And if we look at the traditional three beat structure, we see that, the, like, like we've said before on this podcast, the first beat establishes, the second reinforces, and the third one subverts. So what's being subverted here? Well, the first time Rain lied, as we said, he did it for himself. He said that the false normal and the lie that he was okay was something that felt almost real. He could hold on to it for a short while. This was about coping. The second time was much the same. He, he had just gotten his ass beat. And he had just realized that even when the chips were down, even when he was pushed against a wall, he is completely ineffective and unable to uh, defend himself. He is fucked. He is very much not okay. But he, when asked once again, he says, I'm fine. to, To stave off that embarrassment as another coping mechanism, as another way to get through it. But here, he's asked once again, and he lies once again. But this time it's not about him coping. It's not about staving off embarrassment. It's not about pushing someone away. It's about when he lies this time, he does it for someone else. He does it for Aaron. And there's a big difference between a selfish lie and a selfless lie. And the lie that Rains gives right now is because he understands that Aaron needs someone who is okay. Because she is not. And the lie gives him the strength to make the important decision that he he comes to make here and 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 throughout the rest of this chapter. And I think it's so wonderful the way we set that up.
0: Some good analyzing there, Scott. Thanks. Um, yeah, I, I don't I I definitely took his his, you know, kind of selflessness as as a, a, a kind of a great moment for his character, but I didn't connect it to being the subversion of the three beat. That, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so um what happened apparently was that Tim made a sexually suggestive comment to Aaron and she told him to go fuck himself.
1: <laughs> She's the best. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, which is a bad move, though, because, you know, it's yes, powerful. Yes, it's very bad. So Rain tells her that she needs to leave, you know, like, like really like leave, leave the fallen, get out of here. But she explains that she can't leave her family behind and they are too bought in and too broken to leave rain has a hard time grappling with that. He can't really imagine having a family that he cares about or who cares about him.
1: Yeah. And it's so, there's so much tragedy here, right? Because there's, you feel bad for Aaron, you feel bad for rain. You feel bad for her, her family who, who turned to this place because they didn't know what else to do. The world ended. There were people offering help. Like we saw people be influenced by the fallen, uh, in that Victoria chapter. We saw how this works that you, you pluck someone that is, desperate and needy and take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. And you can see how that could have happened to this family as well. Um, And it's so, it's so awful. And I love that you take this. So so we take, we take Aaron and we take Lucklin who we have one person that was completely brainwashed, who was kidnapped and completely brainwashed. We have another person who, um, whose family was kind of conned into this and they're both good people. And I think, like, we're, part of what I think we're trying to do here is is say that, like, the Fallen as an organization is terrible, it's awful, it's wrong, it probably needs to be destroyed, but there are a lot—the There, it the, the people that are in here are complicated. The people that are members of this organization, how they got there one way or another is complicated and complex, and considering that RAIN is one of those complicated, complex messes of people— that's still technically part of this organization i feel like that's what we were we were we're establishing a lot through this chapter
0: yeah like it's an organization that perpetuates itself by making people into victims and then turning them into the kind of victim who out out of their own terror perpetuates the the aims of the organization right so i was gonna say this is an organization with a lot of victims in it and you, you don't just necessarily want to wipe it out in terms of like killing everyone. Right. But it's like, yeah, I mean, when you grow up in a, in a situation like that, you almost are a victim or perhaps you are a victim. Um, yeah. Very, very complicated. Yeah. Like you said,
1: absolutely. And I'm really, really anxious to see how Victoria reacts to this. Cause we, we, she's made it very clear how she feels about the fallen in general. Um, she's going to be confronted with the fallen very specifically here very soon. And I'm interested to see what that looks like.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't, I don't know if I'm too optimistic about it, really, because uh, I mean, some I've heard, I've seen some people talking about how she does have a bit of a simplistic worldview in the sense of seeing people as being villains and heroes, um, which, which is, I think, I think Worm, if anything, has already kind of dissolved this whole, this whole um, dichotomy of heroes and villains as being like concretely useful labels. Uh, Yeah. And uh, so I I don't think Victoria will react too well to this.
1: Well, and that's a great tie in to what we see Victoria talk about in the next chapter, too, Mm -hmm. because she is dealing with this idea of bad guys are easy. Bad guys, you punch them. It's it's easy to take care of them. You fight them, you take them down and you you start getting in these shades of gray and it gets more complicated and complex. and, And it's just it's a it's a mess. And we'll get into we'll get into poor Victoria's mess in a minute. Yeah,
0: but for now, we have this moment where he put his arms around her. He never imagined such a thing could feel so horrible and harrowing. The horribleness didn't even have anything to do with his injuries that every point of contact hurt. It wasn't his body that hurt.
1: Yeah, this, I think, is a really important moment to demonstrate that Rain's feelings for Aaron are not just this like teenage hormone induced obsession that there is some like real feelings going on here yeah. because like we had in the previous chapter, like he would freak out just by her standing there and there's no moment where he's like, Oh my God, I'm hugging Aaron. This is so amazing. I'm hugging this person. No, this is, this is horrible and harrowing Mm -hmm. where he's, he's, he's getting physical contact with this person he loves, but it's all, it's all in empathy. Like it's all in, how bad he feels for the things that she's going through and that is huge that is huge for rain yeah
0: and he just wants to help her yeah so we skip some time and rain calls mrs Yamada and tells her that he's not doing great <laughs> which which uh is him <laughs> telling the truth to someone finally yeah so she tells him that she can talk longer if he can wait an hour and a half um, and, and he, he thinks he reached out and there was a reach back he had that
1: yeah yeah, thank God, thank God, Rain asks for help, um, which which echoes. Uh, Victoria talked about reaching out. Remember, uh-huh. um, back in when she was searching for something to do, you you align yourself with with the law. If you don't do that, you align yourself what feels right, and if you can't do that, you reach out to someone. Mm-hmm. That's what Victoria said. That was kind of her mission statement, and and whether or not that was something she explicitly told to Rain, maybe that's something that that rubbed off a little bit.
0: Good job, Coach. That's cool. I like that. I, I, didn't, I didn't make that connection. Sweet. So Cradle, Uh, I'm, I'm going to pull out this, this longer quote because um, I, I just love how this wraps it's up. It's really good. Yeah. Cradle had described him as a monster. He wasn't sure if he was, but as he sat at his work table trying to work quietly, he imagined he was willing to become a little more monstrous if it meant saving the likes of Aaron from becoming a lost soul like Lucklin. His tinkering might have been limited, but he had other skills. He'd survived in places more rustic than this for a time. He could make blades. He could make traps and snares. His scrap with his uncle had taught him he couldn't win a fair fight against even the unpowered, not with his powers being what they were. He'd draw on every resource he had to keep it coming down to a fair fight. When he went back to the group tomorrow, it would be with a different mindset. I pulled this out, this whole bit, because it's a wonderful, like, kind of humble badassness. Like a character who's really strong preparing to kick ass isn't nearly as badass as a character who sucks at fighting, nonetheless stealing his resolve to fight, you know despite his weakness, yeah and, yeah and then of course it's also tragic because this this sweet kid has been pushed to this point of desperation,
1: yeah yeah it, it's it's so it's so great and awful at the same time and and if we once again go back to that three beat, it was that it was him caring about someone else it was him becoming concerned for someone else that allowed this transition to take place that transition from that selfless lie that selfish lie rather to a selfless one that allowed rain to quit running he has a thing to fight for now and it's not himself he's not just doing this for himself it's for someone else it's for aaron and that is noble and kind of awe-inspiring but while you're right that it is kind of empowering it's also really troublesome like he's admitting that he's willing to become a little monstrous, if it means protecting this person he loves, and what will that do long term for him? Right? Like where will that lead him? And I, I don't, I, I don't know. But you kind of get this, this little, little beat of like encouragement, but also ominousness.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean there, because like you want to just take it as like a, a cool, a cool hero moment, right? But also, um the fact that he uses the you know the term become a little bit more monstrous that's a that's a red flag in terms of parahumans world
1: yeah it's a lo- it's a loaded it's a loaded term yeah. in this world definitely yeah. um and yeah I, I we'll see but it it's weird it's weird to both be like i've never liked rain more and i've also never been more worried for him like he's he's he almost had a a 180 in this chapter he 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 i mean he literally like turns around and heads back to his friends so but he is in a really precarious situation not just because of the threats the external threats against him but but what's going on within him
0: yeah i like that it is a literal and figurative 180 that's
1: funny (laughs) yeah yeah
0: all right um so moving on to chapter 4.6 victoria is having lunch with natalie the team's pseudo lawyer uh victoria likes neither eggs nor cold chicken we learn
1: but which dislike came first the chicken or the egg
0: <laughs> well,
1: i was really proud of that joke when i wrote it and i was like <laughs> i shared it with my wife and she's like no that's not that's not good that, cut that out no, that's I was like no no i'm not gonna do it's it
0: it's pure gold <laughs> and, and it's the egg the egg is what came first we know that yeah okay so well, yeah just ruined it. <laughs> so once again, Victoria judges Natalie on her outfit.
1: Yeah, internal monologue fashion burn. has it feel, Natalie? Yeah. Get some ointment for that burn that you'd know nothing about because she just said it in her head. Yeah.
0: And also we kind of like low-key like Natalie and are not sure why Victoria why uh, why Victoria's so mean to her.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward, I think at the end of this, this section, I want to have a conversation with you about Natalie, yeah. and uh, I'm, I'm interested to see where we, where we side on this whole Sounds thing.
0: Sounds good. Yeah, Victoria is essentially laying out the altercation with hook line and kitchen sink, and Natalie is pointing out how they could have done it better. Victoria has excuses at every point along the way. Natalie is advocating that they be far more conservative, slow, and methodical in their approach. Every action they take has to be defensible. If they mess it up, then any collars they make would be thrown out, and they themselves could get in a lot of trouble too. So they also talk about this concept of the 9%, formerly the 10%, the fraction of criminal capes actually being prosecuted based on the severity of their crimes. So the implication here is that most villains are actually getting away with things by avoiding doing anything that sets them in the worst 10% offenders
1: yeah this is a super interesting concept right that like the the legal system has no way of actually like dealing with with this much crime so we have to just settle for the amount that we can deal with and this is something that exists in our world too Matt um not not to the quite the level of extreme in this world but only 10 percent of criminal cases in the United States go to trial um which is which is a number that I don't know if it's accidental or not, but lines up perfectly to this to this comparison. But ninety percent of criminal cases in this country are plea bargained away. Um, and that's basically because our court system could not handle that many trials. We just couldn't do it. There's just not enough people. There's not enough money. It would not be able to handle that many cases. so so basically, the system has decided that, we are willing to cut deals for, for guilty pleas. The whole plea bargain system is built around that. You plead guilty. You will do less time. We will cut you a break. The system will look the other way on some of your crimes um, to not overload itself. And this is, this, the, what's going on here in, in Earth Gimmel is a way more extreme version of that. But it is similar.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I think, I think the dynamics are very much the same. Um, yeah it
1: is it is something that society kind of needs to do at times like we cannot enforce all laws we cannot punish all crimes
0: i think and we
1: have to make calls
0: like like one thing i thought of as being a possible dynamic here is that the the worst 10 percent may become worse and worse over time like as, as fewer people as fewer of these villains hold back you know um because I, I get this, I don't know if this is true or not, but I get this sense that the villains, as uh, almost all the villains, are kind of reining themselves in because they are kind of enjoying this detente with the heroes. Um, but then, like, the worst ones kind of can't help themselves, so they fall, on, right. fall into that 10%. But, like, we're nowhere near the almost, like, free-for-all level of insanity that was happening on Bet. Um you know, throughout most of the story, um, right. you know, like we've got, we've got nothing like the undersiders, um, for example. Um, but, but it, it's, it, it could, it's going to get gradually worse and worse, I guess is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you get what you do get is people skirting as close to that line as possible. Yeah. And like, uh, all it takes is when you, when you find you are able to get away with something that only encourages you to, to try it more. Yeah. And, that can snowball out of control very quickly. But at the, at the other hand, like, Victoria is upset because the 10% has gone down to the 9%. I think it's very fair to be upset about that. Like, that that kind of indicates the number of crimes is increasing and the ability to deal with them is decreasing. Um, but what other option, like, what, what option is there at this point?
0: Right. Yeah. I, uh...
1: And I guess to Victoria, the option is, stop restricting us with your laws let us
0: let us do this stuff i think that's kind of the undercurrent of this whole conversation is that is that she's like just let us go back to the way things were and by that i mean let me go kick their asses and natalie is very subtly i think trying to convey like i don't know if that's the world that we want again i think that we maybe want something different this time so we'll get to a few beats where i think that shows through in a very subtle way at least that's my interpretation of what's happening here Uh, completely yeah so so like here's 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 one moment actually natalie's forehead wrinkled it was a weird contrast for someone who had a whimsical pixie cut with a curl at the front and oversized glasses to seem as joyless as she did she didn't seem to like her meal and she seemed interested but not excited or engaged by this and that all, all that just makes me like really wonder what's going on with natalie under the surface like why why is she doing this at all and and what are her motives and what is she, you know, what what are her just, I really want to know more about Natalie. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and we learn about her connection to Carol here in a bit. So it's hard not to read into that a little bit that, that, that Carol knows how like (laughs) Carol reading room expert, knowing exactly the right thing to do expert. Yeah. Not, (laughs) um, would would position this person to outside like you get the feeling that Natalie doesn't want to be here and you get the feeling that Natalie is frustrated. And I think it's understanding that she's frustrated because it's kind of like this, this point of like, Hey, you called me like you, you asked for a lawyer and then I'm giving you help. And you're like, you're like complaining about it the whole time. (laughs) Like I'm just doing what you asked me to do.
0: Being defensive. And yeah. Um,
1: this is like, I'm not telling you this to piss you off. I'm telling you this because I think this is the way things are. And it's, yeah, like that she's a student. This is not her job. And you get the idea that, yeah, maybe she's being pressured into taking this role Um, from the other side from wonderful Carol. Yeah.
0: And yet another thing that occurred to me there when Victoria is like trying to figure out what's wrong with her is like, like if, if, if you're, if you're a, Cape who's super strong, you kind of always have to assume the other person's a little bit on edge about that, right, um, so that could that could be part of it, who knows, um especially if like your dad was killed by the god of capes, uh, which is what we yeah. basically find out happened here, yeah, um yeah, so anyways, Natalie basically points out that from the cliff's notes, it just seems like Victoria and Sveta assaulted and battered two innocent blokes. <laughs> uh, yep so th- they look at the video and, and that shows that the villains were getting ready to attack the kings of the hill so it's probably more defensible but natalie still has some good points to make for one natalie says that uh the old idea of a costumed arrest which is basically like the idea of the kind of arrest that capes made back in the day may not exist in the forming legal, legal system of Gimmel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let's discuss this for a bit, because I think I think this is really interesting and ties into what you were talking about, that um, going back to the way things are is not something that's probably going to be possible. We've gone from this, this society where capes managed to insert themselves into the legal system so quickly that laws were basically created with the express intent of ensuring that heroes could operate with relative impunity like not not perfectly but Mm -hmm. um they could make his make arrests they could serve as de facto law enforcement officers it's what protected old victoria from her behavior in early worm when she was way too violent with people Mm -hmm. um way too rough with people um well now we've got this new world where people are not as happy about capes and the laws that heroes use to protect themselves aren't there anymore and might not ever be there and you've got to approach this stuff differently.
0: Yeah, right. I, I, think, I think that's absolutely, again, the subtext of what's going on here. Yeah. Um, and, and then uh, here Natalie actually says, we're making strides, Victoria, but I think we're in for a culture shock when people realize that as much as they've been waiting eagerly for things to get closer to normal, we're not going to get a lot of the old normal we're eager, eager for. And we're going to get some of the less pleasant parts. You're talking about the law? Madly shrugged, she was holding her plastic thing of salad, spearing some with a plastic fork before popping it into her mouth. she said, lots of stuff
1: the subtext has become text yeah. <laughs> um i got I love this Matt right. I love this so much, and this all this all comes from Victoria talking about how her her bagel tasted like shit, yeah, um, it looked great, tasted flavorless, and we learned that it's because they were popular, so that they were they were frozen because we wanted to to give this air of normalcy where bagels will be available whenever you want them. Mm-hmm. Cause we're in this, we're back in civilization. You can all have bagels, but it's an illusion. It's fake. It's not real. Um, and, and, and then Natalie re- responds to that with this, this quest to return to that normalcy as fast as possible was res- resulting in like skimping and like, like cutting corners and this lack of realization that, you can't like you can't go home again. You can't go back to normal. This is not the same anymore. And in your quest to have that delicious normal bagel, you're just making it taste like shit. And I, I love that imagery so much because, yes, she's talking about the law. Absolutely. Yes, she's talking about society itself. Yes, she's talking about capes. But she's talking about Victoria too. Yeah. Because Victoria is this person who is trying to get back to normal. She's trying to achieve this sense of normalcy in her life. And if she rushes it, if she tries to cut corners to get there, she's just gonna taste like shit. Yeah.
0: I mean, part of Victoria's problem, I think, is that she wants to to be this like heroine who who is on posters and, and her life is kinda glamorous. There's photo shoots. Um, and what Natalie's kind of telling her here is your life as a hero cape is going to be quite onerous and, um, like fraught with the potential of getting in trouble if you mess things up. And right. this, and by the way, this is actually how we want it to be because we don't want it to be the way you want it to be.
1: Right. Yeah. So, so great. Yeah. We talked about a bad-tasting bagel for 10 minutes. Good job. It's
0: important. So the conversation then derails spectacularly when Natalie brings up Victoria's mom. Natalie tells her that there was an attempted security breach into the email server aimed at Carol.
1: Yeah, and Victoria immediately thinks Mm Tattletail. It's like like Tattletale. But we – is it Tattletale? I
0: don't think so because I think Tattletail would either get the password on the first try or, or not try.
1: Like, would she fail? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. So the other the other option then is is, is Kenzie trying to do some digging? Yeah. Because Kenzie um was Kenzie there when they met Carol? I can't remember. Uh yes, she yeah, was. she was. She was there. Yeah. And Kenzie didn't like her, right? She yeah. didn't like her. Yeah. So maybe she's like, I'm gonna help my friend by getting dirt on her mommy. Yeah.
0: Very very That would be very, very a very possible, Kenzie thing to very do. Possible, yeah. I'm not I'm not too sure, but but it's that, that would be that'd be neat. Mm-hmm. So Victoria kind of starts a slow motion storm off. Uh, but Natalie reels her back in, reassuring her that she won't act as a messenger uh, for from Carol. Yeah. Um, Victoria says, I can't have you being her messenger. It would impact how this arrangement works. I said, even if it's pertinent, letting you know things like the possible breach in the emails, that they're looking into people close to you. The problem is that it's always going to sound like a good reason. Could it sound like a good reason because it is one? Sometimes even.
1: Yeah, I, I really like this and I wanted to bring it up because I think it, entire, it, it ties into the entire like crux of the failure of this conversation between the two of them because Natalie sees Carol as this well-meaning, kind person who's only trying to look out for her daughter. Victoria sees her mother as sneaky and manipulative and they're coming at this entire conversation from those two polarized perspectives and... So it's almost it's almost as if they're talking past each other because they just they can't see what the other person means. Yeah. Because like and, and it's it's, it's brought, like the, it's completely encapsulated in this quote because like it, the problem is it's always going to sound like a good reason. And I think Victoria's right there that that from what we you know of her mother she would use this idea of oh it's pertinent information as always a good reason. But but to to Natalie's point Sometimes it is actually a good reason, yeah. and they're not going to be able to to actually come to a compromise on this because they're so diametrically opposed in their in their viewpoint of the person they're talking about.
0: Yeah, and Victoria is being a bit um, too hardline about it. I, I would say just because it's like, yeah, it is pertinent that somebody's hacking your mom's email. It, it, it's pertinent. It's pertinent. Yeah. Like like I don't know. Especially when. Yeah.
1: Especially when they're pretty convinced it's because of you. Yeah.
0: Like, yeah. like you're, you're just wrong here, Victoria, because if, if, if this had been framed differently, you would have been like, of, of course I want to know that. But yeah. because it was framed as your mom wanted me to ask you something, yeah. then it's, it's a, it's, it's unacceptable.
1: And they've kind of like damaged their whole relationship now. And whether this is Carol's fault or is Victoria's kind of hard headedness when it comes to her mother, uh, understandable hard headedness on, on a certain extent, um, but Natalie's been thrown in the middle of this this thing and she's supposed to be this outside counsel and observer and advice giver and now she's in the middle of this this family mess and it's really not fair to her at all
0: yeah Um, and
1: it's damaged her ability to actually give them good advice and for Victoria to actually hear and process the good advice
0: right so speaking of this family mess Natalie goes on to express concerns about Victoria's complete lack of cape civilian balance and uh victoria responds you're aware i've never had that balance i ask in my best get real tone which is fairly rude victoria um you went to high school once upon a time didn't you (laughs) as the girl that was an out and open superheroine i said because of a decision my parents made i think that's worth mentioning because victoria never really explicitly thinks about resenting her parents for this because there are bigger things she resents them for that she thinks about more often. Um, yep. But I think if she didn't have the whole twisted abomination phase to obsess about, she would probably be more bent out of shape about her lack of a, anything approaching a normal life. I mean, when the story started, that's kind of what she was trying to accomplish. She was she was doing the the patrol block and, and pretending right. she didn't have powers.
1: Right. How quickly she's changed, right? Yeah. Like. I, and and to be honest, I never connected those dots until Victoria connected them for us, that her decision to be an, an unmasked cape that was public was not hers. It was made for her, and she had no choice in it, really. Um, but, but yeah, you, as you pointed out, you go back three arcs ago, and Victoria was trying really hard to just be a normal person, have a normal job, go to school. Um, a few weeks later, she suddenly so far to the other side so far to the other extreme that when someone even comments hey maybe you need a little more balance," she's like well i never had a normal life anyway and It's like whoa yeah are you are you even are you trying to have a normal life anymore like have you just written that part of you off and have given up on it because it didn't work out um and it's just like how how quickly that's changed
0: yeah i mean because i think she's a bit lost and we're gonna see a little bit of that right
1: Absolutely, yeah. So the
0: the substance of the meeting wraps up with Natalie voicing concern about the basic premise of the Misfit Toys plan, apply pressure until the villains crack, and then when they crack, it will be sudden and violent, and the situation will not lend itself to um, conservatism in the approach, and it will probably be a legal disaster, which is what she's trying to avoid.
1: Yeah, I, I really like this argument. I think it's pretty solid, because Victoria's whole argument is that, you know, some stuff, sometimes bad stuff goes wrong and we don't have time to loop you in. We don't have time to bring in the authorities. We have to act and we have to act now, which is true. That absolutely is true. But when the entire nature of your plan is to put so much pressure on that things blow up and therefore time becomes the constraint because things have just blown up and you have to act quickly now, but only because you were the, the time, you were the reason that the time factor even existed in the first place because you turned up the pressure like the, I think the argument starts to get a little more thin.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's, that's a great point. It's, it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I think people in the people in the in the various Reddits and something awful and so forth, they very often say like this plan is just so bad, and Victoria doesn't realize it <laughs> at all. Um, it's, yeah. it's nice to I have mean, it, Na- like, Natalie here. It's,
1: I, yeah, the entire idea of let's turn the pressure up until they crack against parahumans. Is the worst fucking idea ever because they're parahumans, yeah. and when parahumans crack, bad shit yeah. happens
0: yeah. it's, it's uh, you're yeah so uh, the conversation actually wraps up with Natalie telling her that her mom cares about her and Victoria wanting to strangle her
1: yeah but sh- but she doesn't yeah, so that's good yeah and she feels she feels kind of lost in the conversation too because it's like, I can't convince this person to see it my way I can't do it and doing so would would ruin our relationship, possibly ruin their relationship. It's pointless. Like, my mom now has a stranglehold over this person. I lose. Yeah. Um, I I really do like where we leave this conversation, and and where we leave this conversation is what feeds into everything else after here, because even as Victoria was so resistant to Natalie, um, Natalie has made some really good points so far. And Victoria acknowledges that. And she's asked some questions to which Victoria does not have the answer. What do you want this group to be? What do you want your role in this group to be? How do you want to be a coach? It gives Victoria stuff to think on. And she spends the rest of this chapter kind of in a daze thinking about this stuff. Like, we're going to get to it. But there are things happening that she doesn't even care about anymore. Like... He's like, ah, Tristan's got that. I got to think about this stuff. And she's kind of been thrown for a loop. So as much as Victoria was resistant and pushed back against Natalie here, she's had an effect on her for sure.
0: Yeah. If only Natalie, like, dressed well, then Victoria would take her seriously. (laughs) The story would be very different.
1: So, yeah, before we move on, what's what's your overall opinion of Natalie? What do you think? Do you think there's something more shady going on here or... or, um, are you just interested in her as a character generally yeah
0: i don't think it's more shady i i just think that she's more complex than victoria is seeing her as being and and her motives are are more are are, are deeper and she's probably um she's probably someone who victoria actually should be listening to and respecting as as a you know an 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 ally basically um but victoria doesn't like the message that she's getting so she's decided that she's annoyed with her. Um, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. She also just kind of seems to like the the fashion, um, the fashion comments to me. I read as like a window into how she's just subconsciously downgrading her and belittling her and yeah. and disregarding, like, coming up with reasons to disregard what she's saying, basically, mm-hmm. which is not I, fair. I
1: think I agree with yeah. that. And and it's even it's even worse now because her feelings towards Natalie are now inextricably tied into her mother. And we'll see in in the later half of the chapter. She even says, "Well, I dealt with my mother. I could deal with this." And I was like, "Well, you you didn't deal with your mother today. Yeah. Like you were talking with Natalie. Like she's she's linked them so intently in her her mind now that it's like one and the same." Yeah. And that's not good for for her continued support. As a legal person on this team.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. I think she has, yeah. That's a shame. So, yeah, now Victoria heads to the Misfit Toys HQ and sees Kenzie, uh, what turns out to be a hologram of Kenzie, who has basically called in just so she'll catch people as they arrive at at the headquarters. Victoria admonishes her to uh, get some, some headspace away from the team stuff. Um, and Kenzie answers, I turn off my brain by tinkering, she said. It's like how on some computers you can push the number so high it goes back to zero, except it's brain activity.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's called a stack overflow, and it basically means the computer freaks the fuck out and doesn't know what to do and just resets itself, yeah. which is it's not a good thing, Kenzie. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's uh, that's, that's 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 like uh, that's like how you hack computers is you do stuff like that. So you're good job yeah. you're hacking yourself. <laughs> So, yeah, Victoria standing in the dark alone now looks over the team's whiteboards. Kenzie's notes concern costume ideas and tinker notes with stars and hearts. Chris focuses on cape names. Ashley has just written a stylized Ashley and the text says just Ashley. Nothing else figured out.
1: She's got it. She's got herself figured out. Yeah. Boom. Ashley. That's
0: it. I'm done. Yeah. Got it. (laughs) Rain's boards focus more on info about his cluster with some work on picking a name. Uh, one of the rejected names being Handbrake, which I thought was hilarious. Uh,
1: we need to circle back around and pick that name. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> that's a great one. Yeah.
0: Tristan has some more managerial work on his board layouts, team names, money. His focus is not on himself, but on the team. Um, he is, in fact, the only member who doesn't uh, need a new costume and name. Um, and I'm actually uncertain whether Victoria or Tristan technically have, or, you know, which which of the two of them actually have more experience as capes because yeah. Victoria's older, but she took a lengthy, unwilling sabbatical. So um, it's it's actually possible that Tristan is, is 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 a peer, if not if not a, a more experienced cape. I'm not yeah, I'm not really yeah. sure though.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure either.
0: And Tristan has given one quarter of his board to Byron, who uses it to note down movies to watch.
1: Which is pretty nice of him. And it's like, it's, this is one of those things, and I mentioned this on Twitter, this is one of those things I, you see it and you want to read a lot into it because you're like, oh, Byron only gets one fourth of the board. Um, But like, technically Byron's not a member of this group, so he doesn't need any of the board. So he is really throwing him a bone here. Yeah.
0: Like what is right, like what was Byron going to use it for, you know, other than just stuff like this. So
1: but I still think it does work as like a metaphoric um, representation of they split time equally, but we have this, this note about how hard being fair is from Tristan. And like, if you use the board as a metaphor for how their power dynamic works, then like Byron is okay getting one fourth of the power. And Tristan is perfectly happy taking three fourths of it. Um, Again, it might be reading too much into it, but
0: um, yeah, you know, if the, if the board proportions start changing over the course of the story, then I'll, I'll say maybe we're not reading too much into it. Um, but, but for now, it's like, yeah, you could you'd almost read it too much either way. Like, like oh, no, it's Tristan being nice. Oh, no, it's Tristan being scared that he's going to get shot by an assassin. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's, inter- it's interesting to think about, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sveta's board is a mix of art and cape names uh, with like uh, each of the names associated with the drawing, like a conceptual art drawing um, on the board, which is pretty awesome. And then Victoria thinks about how they need help and she thinks about her own path.
1: Yeah. And I don't want to I don't want to go like I don't want to go too much detail dissecting each one of their whiteboards and what it means. But I think like big picture We have Victoria sitting in the dark, surrounded by like the physical manifestation of everyone on the Misfit Toys and their problems, who they are, what their problems are, what their wants are, what their needs are. And she's surrounded by all all these things. And her response to that is they need help. But what kind of help? What do they need from me? And that's when we start getting really introspective here for, for Victoria.
0: Yeah, she thinks, My life was filled with people I wanted to get angry at and couldn't because they were fundamentally broken and flawed. My mother, my sister, Amelia, Amy. I'd said her name and thought about her for 10 lifetimes worth in just the span of two years. I felt vaguely ill that I was doing so now, even if it was for the sake of doing as Natalie had asked me to.
1: I love this so much. We're we're, we're seeing Victoria's self awareness again. She is she is so self aware at times, mm-hmm. and so honest with herself. And, and we see here in, in this not just in this quote, but this whole conversation with herself. She likes fighting the bad guys. The, the bad guys are easy. It's like that's bad guy. I punch him. Yeah. Bad guy, go away. And but the people you're really mad at, you're really mad at. You can't punch those ones that doesn't that doesn't fix the problem yeah. and and like the misfit toys need her help. they really do, but I don't think they need Victoria to just punch stuff yeah that's not like that's not what they need. It's not the easy non complicated fight the bad guys kind of help. It's the messy, complicated dealing with issues and problems and anger that you can't physical your way through. And I I think that's a that's a revelation for her that that maybe what they need from her isn't what she thought it was.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's there's so much going on here because uh, uh, particularly in this quote, how she she wants to get angry at like you just rearrange the sentence syntactically valid to say, I wanted to get angry at Amy, but but couldn't because she's fundamentally broken and flawed. Um, yeah. So it's like she can't. She's she's kind of realizing she can't really be angry at her, which is interesting because she has all this anger, obviously, and all this all this right back backed up. You know, trauma of of, of various types, um, but yeah, it, it's it's very interesting, um, reflective moment. Yeah. So now Sveta and Ashley arrive, and uh, they quickly start talking about Ashley's new persona. Is, <laughs> is she going to keep the same, the same aesthetic of the, the black dress and so forth, and, and the name Damsel of Distress? And at first, she argues that she needs her current identity. Victoria points out that if she sews her hair into her costume, it could make her costume immune to her power. Ashley shows her Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley shows her that her hair turns white when she uses her power, so she can't sew it into a black dress. And Victoria has this moment of, I was actually enjoying myself because of the puzzle and because it was my longest interaction with Ashley that hadn't come to blows.
1: <laughs> Hooray.
0: Um, I, so I, I'm not sure why exactly I felt it necessary to pull this out, but she looks over at Chris. Chris was wearing a newer t-shirt with a Gorn Metal Band's album cover on the front. Um, so is, is Gorn Metal like a world building touch? Is that like a, a bet thing? Because I don't think that's a real thing.
1: Yeah, a quick Google search says that the Gorn are the fake lizard people from the original Star Trek. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't think it's a real world thing.
0: Yeah, and if it is, then educate us, please.
1: Yes, please. Tell me what Gorn metal is.
0: So uh, Chris mentions having used indulgence for a while and then says that he'll hit anxiety a few times to put some motive behind it. So like you said a while back, Scott, it's it's like he's cutting together different drugs to get his desired effect.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So the, this, continue, this conversation with Ashley continues. Victoria spins her suggestion as being a way of having a separate hero identity so the two, the, the villain and hero versions of Ashley don't get mixed up. The, the plan would be to cut off her hair and use a white goth look with black accents. Kinsey jumps in and tells her that uh, she had a prior idea for a birthday present that would make Ashley's eyes appear totally black or totally white it seems like it's kinsey's enthusiasm more than anything that sways ashley
1: yeah but but i think we have to give victoria credit here because she is really good at directing ashley down this path mm-hmm. i think i think we see that she understands her and she knows how to start her down that road that leads to her imagining it's a good idea and that's really important because we've she even admits here that they are very similar that they are alike in some ways and therefore she knows how to how to push her along.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right.
1: You also just like completely skipped over the part where it's mentioned that someone impregnated their costume with hair. What is with this book and impregnating things with weird things?
0: Oh, you know. And I like that somebody's like, Yeah, I think I know which cape you're talking about. And it's just like, well that's just weird. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you know that? Yeah. Um yeah, so now uh we're kind of wrapping up the chapter and Azure calls in for the conference call, uh, but this this kind of doesn't immediately go anywhere. I think it's just kind of setting up for, for what's next.
1: Yeah, but I mean, Victoria literally says Tristan's got yeah. it. Yeah, like I, I got I got right. stuff to think about here. Yeah, I'm
0: gonna zone out because
1: this is our entire plan. This is like a big a big cog in our plan. But I got to figure my stuff yeah. out. Which I mean, she does to be fair. Yeah.
0: yeah, right. It's it makes sense. It's just you're you're. It's interesting to see. So Rain calls and says that he wants to talk and he wants to bring Aaron. Um, And Victoria's response to this is gut feeling, but we'll meet him to talk somewhere nearby as soon as this call is wrapped up and we've seen how they respond. Half an hour should be plenty of time, but let's not do it here, I said. Um, And I was immediately like... Why? I mean, not, it, it's not just because Aaron's with him that they don't want no. that they don't want her to, that, they, that they don't want them to come to the headquarters. What is she reacting to here?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, we see in this moment she has this moment of clarity, mm-hmm. right? That she 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 has cracked the, the puzzle. She's solved it. Why Yamada asked her to be here? And if, if we if we try to parse this, because I thought about this for a while too, if we try to parse what we know from this, what we learn as part of this code cracking is that Yamada asked Weld to do this first and Weld said he couldn't right now, but he could maybe come in the future. And Yamada's decision to that was no, I'll go Victoria. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're, you're forced to kind of, you, you kind of take two things from this, that, that time was a factor and she couldn't wait that. And that it's not, it wasn't, Victoria specifically that she needed for this role, right it was not like we always thought like it was something she saw in Victoria specifically for this, and it doesn't necessarily seem to be like that, mm. so then you start thinking well what are the what are the similarities the and weld have what do what do they what are they like Well, they both really like Sveta, they're both really hard to injure. they're tough uh and they legitimately care about people, so that doesn't really help i don't I don't know what to do so with
0: that, that. they both <laughs> had some experience being monstrous in appearance
1: yeah that's true that's true too they both struggled
0: yeah. with those similar things and, and su- successfully mm-hmm. gotten past them which yeah. makes them you know a better sort of positive example of, of the fact that you can get past these things
1: right right um but but we also see that victoria says i'd been asked to be here i was damaged and miss yamada knew it why was i here then yesterday i might have said It was so I could provide this kind of direction and guidance so I could talk to the lawyer, handle situations like Kenzie's and Ashley's and be friends to Sveta. So yesterday, that implies that she now thinks that that is not her role. That is not why Yamada put her here. Um, And so I don't know. What do you think of that?
0: Yeah, no, I, I think I think what we're learning here is that she's had some insight and she's she's updating her interpretation of why she's here at all. Um, right. Which is interesting because Yamada was never terribly s- explicit about what was going on. Like she, Yamada did not say like, okay, here are, here are the problems with these people, and this is what I need you to. This is this is why you're here. Yamada was just kind of like, okay, all, all right, sounds like you're gonna go off with them. Sounds good to me L- yep. later. Yep. Um, and, and that was a positive outcome as far as Yamada was concerned. I think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. Please please continue your analysis though.
1: So, so the last thing here, the last thing we know is, is the moment that the feelings crystallized for Victoria. So we see, um, it's when Rain wants to know if people are okay with him inviting Aaron. They're still half an hour away. She gave him a ride and they stopped along the way. He says it's safe, no trouble, but he wants to talk and he wants her here when he does. Tristan's voice was just a bit tight. I have suspicions, Sveta says. I know. I think Tristan says, and that is the moment with that. I felt like the musings crystallize. I wouldn't know until I talked to Jessica, but I had more of an idea. Things made a degree of sense. So it is in this moment when the team is being suspicious of rain showing up with Aaron, that her, her thing, her, her theory crystallizes after Tristan's voice is is tight after, after Sveta says she has suspicions. So what is going on here, Matt, (laughs)
0: I mean, I think, well, I mean, Tristan knows that it's something to do with the Fallen. Right. Sveta, I think, suspects uh, or, or or knows part of it. Right. Um, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I don't know what's going on in her head exactly.
1: So do you think, I mean, I don't think she's cracked that it's the Fallen. Like, there's nothing in here to indicate that she would have the ability to make that kind of logical leap.
0: Yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know. I, I I mean, I thought about this for a while too, and 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 I, f- I felt like like I feel like whatever is about to happen is going to be a pretty dramatic shift in 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 some direction. I just don't know if yes. it's going to be a direction where we're like yes, or a direction where we're like no. So I, yeah,
1: structurally, Matt, <laughs> <laughs> you look at a story structure. It's gonna be the latter. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is not gonna be a good show. Maybe
0: this one's not gonna be like worm though. Maybe it's gonna be happy.
1: Okay, whatever. Uh-huh.
0: Do you really believe that? No. Okay. No.
1: Alright, well that's it though. We won't know that the answer to that until hopefully next week,
0: maybe longer. Yeah. Um and that's basically how the chapter wraps up is is we're gonna we're gonna uh Rain's gonna come talk to him. Um I didn't pull out any names this week. Uh, we got Seer, I guess, who, who was the, uh, for, for the name game, who's like uh, a demon from some kind of old book on demonology, um, who's apparently like a very fair, beautiful demon, who is allegedly, uh, according to the book, not, not an evil demon, just a very ambivalent demon.
1: Oh, well, good. Yeah.
0: Like doesn't really care what you're asking him to do when you, when you summon him, which is a thing that you can do apparently with books. I didn't, didn't know this. Um, <laughs> um, and he's, of course, an ugly man in, in, in reality. And and that just reminds us, I think, that the fallen tend to use these demon names, uh, which, you know, we, we knew that already, but kind of it's yeah. been a while since we were refreshed on that. Mm-hmm. So this discussion question this week is, what would be a good way to structure a legal system around the existence of superheroes and supervillains?
1: Yeah, so tying into Natalie and... Um, victoria's whole conversation i think that's gonna be a good one i'm interested to see what people come up with we want we want questions that stir conversation so we don't want to just be like guess what happens next we want to get you guys talking and thinking so i i can't wait to see what people come up with on this one Yeah, me
0: too and that's all we got for you this week on we've got ward remember you guys are all a part of the show now so feel free to provide us with advice questions or thoughts on this week's reading
1: uh, you can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85 and Matt's is more than a flop. Yep.
0: And if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts.
1: As always, you can find this, all the other podcasts we do, and all of our writing essays, film and TV criticism, and more at Daily Planet Films. Dot com this week on the made feed Matt Daniel and I dove into Black Panther which is a movie that we had a, a handful of problems with but still I think I think liked it quite a bit right Matt
0: yeah I, I think it's it's just all too easy to nitpick things but w- w- yeah. we did enjoy the movie a lot
1: yeah yeah uh, also our podcast Vow to View is hanging out at its new time slot on Friday mornings uh, this week's we're talking about the Winter Olympics and watching some two Olympics movies that are they're not great. I, I picked a good one. At least At least At least didn't. So yeah, check that out.
0: <laughs> That's right, Scott. And if if any if you like any of these shows and want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account, patreoncom Uh Think about donating a, a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Special thanks um, to New uh, Captain Planet in Seven Shand at the ten dollar level, and Planeteers Chad. Uh, and Parallax at the $1 level, and Mateo and Jay at the $2 level. Um, And as always, make sure you go over to Wildbo's Patreon and make sure to donate to him as well, because this is his world. We're just playing in it.
1: Yeah, got to unlock those bonus chapters. And if you can't afford to donate right now, that is absolutely okay. You can in- instead help us out by heading on over to iTunes and leaving us a rating and a review. You guys are, like, killing it with the reviews. We got, like, five new ones in the past week and a half. Um, so I have a bunch of them to read, but we're only going to do one this week. Um, This week's comes from Perkula, who gives us five stars and says... Worm is one of my favorite books, and I didn't think I could enjoy it any more than I already did, but the wonderful, in-depth, and fascinating commentary that these guys put forth every week has enhanced my love of Worm beyond what I thought possible. They dissect and reveal all the beautiful details I never even noticed on my first read-through of Wunderbar's masterwork, as well as reminding me of all the reasons I loved it in the first place. So happy they are covering Ward now. Keep the phenomenal work, guys. Thank you so much. That was... That was so nice. And I always love when people still do the wild bow different names stuff. Yes. Um, Thank you. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. um, Perkola and everyone else. We really appreciate it. It's always nice to hear positive feedback, but it's good to hear any kind of feedback. So, so, so keep it up. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We appreciate that. All right. That's it for the show this week. Next week we continue and possibly conclude arc four.